to Ephesians, please. And um, I want to share with you some more of these wonderful blessings in worship or, or in the Word of God that are given to us, for which we give praise to God and we live in these spiritual blessings that the enemy would like to deprive us of, the spiritual blessings that he would like to move us out of Christ so that we lose them. He wants to gain ground in your life to keep you from enjoying what God died to give you. Amen. So I want to begin, and today I'll be dealing with uh, a couple of blessings, confirmation and operation, probably maybe a little more, we shall see. But um, found in verse 13, in whom ye also, we're looking at this phrase, in whom, in whom ye also, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that holy spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. It's literally unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of His glory. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints... Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ. When He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. That's where those spiritual blessings are, aren't they? Amen. Far above all principality and power and might. I like that. Paul will use these adjectives and adverbs. He's so liberal with them. Uh, and and he, 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 he sometimes is not content. When it comes to God, it's like you can't get it big enough. And he's right. You know, you just can't say it. He, he, he doesn't just take it to the max. He goes beyond the max. And he doesn't just say above all principality and power. He has to put a three-letter word in front of that. Far above. I mean, above all principality and power would be enough. I mean, let, let me ask a question. If you take all principality and power, all right, every authority, every principality, every power, take it, put it in, that's it. All power that exists in the universe yeah. and put Christ above it, then he's on top. That puts him on top, right? right. There's nothing over him because it just put, if you just said everything was under him, then there's nothing over him. That's it. But Paul's not content just to say he's above all principality and power. He's far above. Right. Woo. God doesn't just sit a little above the world. He sits highly exalted. Amen. He's not just a little better. He's perfect. Glory to God. He is greater than all. And every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Would you say amen to God's word? You may be seated here this morning. <clears throat> so 
Here we are, and I, I, I realize I've probably already preached to you a couple of messages this morning. There's some things sometimes you feel like you need to share. But here we are about these spiritual blessings that are found for us in Ephesians chapter 1, according to verse 3. Our God has blessed us. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. And these are in the heavenlies, in Christ. Predominantly, they're in Christ. I want to just, just, I'm just going to name them. I'm not going to go through them, but I've dealt with three blessings. The third one, I want to mention a few things about it from last Sunday. But I, I just, what I, I want to do in mentioning them again, and I did say this a couple, of two or three weeks ago, but I want you to see what the blessing gives you. Because each of these blessings brings something to our life beside the blessing itself and, and what the blessing does and the work, like, for example, adoption. And, and what that does of just having us connected to God. Uh, but, but what comes out of that? What should be the uh, expression or the benefit of having that in your life? The blessing of adoption, number one, provides for you relationship and privilege. Some folks are just wrongly related to God. I want to be rightly related to God. Do you know how it is in the world when you go to, uh, and, and it's this way. It is this way in a lot of places. If you're going to get a job, how many have heard that proverbial saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. There's a lot of folks that have got jobs not based on anything of their ability, but based on a connection, a relationship they have. Well, I can tell you when it comes to the end time, although it'll involve the what, and when it comes to the final day of judgment, it's not going to be so much what you know, it's going to be who you know. That's going to be the key thing, my friend. Relationship matters. How you, whether you know God and God knows you, and adoption puts you rightly related to God. It connects you with Him. Glory. Not just by something that is merely legal and holds up in some court of law in some legal basis. No, it is that which makes to me a connection of love. It's that which actually puts me so that I have sunshine rights in the kingdom of God and I am related to God. God, the creator of the world, the father of the universe, the, the creator of time, the creator of space, the one who is perfect in knowledge and wisdom, the one who is infinite in understanding and being, the one who has no limits or no ends. That God has looked at me and by his grace and the blood of his Son, Jesus, who is co-equal and co-eternal with you, has said, you are my son. Amen. That ought to absolutely astound us. It provides for us, number one, relationship. Number two, privilege. The son can get by with things in the house. The servant can't. The son has the freedom to go to the fridge and open it up and get a sandwich. The servant of the house does not have that liberty. The guest in the house does not have that liberty. The son is comfortable and at home. He can sit down on any chair that's allotted to him. He can sit down, but the guest must wait. The guest comes in and must wait to be seated. He must be shown a certain place. There are areas in the home that the guest cannot go to, but the son is allowed to traverse the whole house. 
house, all right? I'm telling you right now, there's privileges that come with adoption. Glory to God. We are a people who are privileged and rightly related to God. There's the blessing of redemption. Redemption provides for you, number one, restoration, and number two, purpose. It provides to you restoration. If you have been redeemed by God, then you are back on the road that Adam took a detour from. You are back on the, to the place to, to accomplish and arrive at the destiny that God had designed and ordained for man from the very beginning. Salvation is not a plan that introduces something new. It's not a plan that, that has come in that God's just changed everything and he's going to do something different now because the first man and woman sinned. No, salvation or redemption is bringing us back to the original plan, bringing us back to live by the original design. We are redeemed. We have a restoration that is brought to our life, and that gives us purpose. I know why I live. I know where I'm going. I know my destiny. I know what God wants to do in my life, at least principally. I know what God wants to do in my life. I have a sense a purpose about me because I've been redeemed and God thought enough of me and loved me to bring me out of sin and put me back on the path to eat of the tree of life from which Adam was separated. Thirdly is the blessing of possession. That's the one I dealt with last Sunday. This blessing of possession. And that is you have become the possession of God. You have become the inheritance of God. You become the object by which God is going to get glory. Imagine that. That you, this little piece and, and chunk of flesh that, that would seem in comparison to this vast universe, you're no more than a microscopic germ on the head of an ink pen, all right? That's all we are. I mean, we're, we're, we're that big. We're, we're, we're microscopic small that we cannot uh, uh, even grasp uh, how how could I have any bearing uh, or any provide any value unto the God that is high and holy and the creator of the universe but I have become his possession and that gives me two things it gives me number one value my life is now worth something, all right? We're not junk, and that's true. I know there are a lot of folks that have taken that away and, and, and blown it out of proportion, but we are literally the possession of God, and God doesn't treat us lightly. God doesn't treat us carelessly. God takes very serious His care about you. He takes very serious His work in your life. He is working in you because He wants to be honored. You are going to reflect on God's craftsmanship. Somebody, if I can use the word in a, in a good sense, a true craftsman has a sense of pride in his work. He gives attention to detail. He pays attention to every little bit. He turns it upside down. He looks at it from every angle. He takes his time with it. Good craftsmen do not get in a rush. I'm a bad one, okay? I'm just going to tell you right now. I get in a hurry. I want to get it done, all right? And if it's got a few little things in it, that is, it'll be all right. You won't see it. You know, that's my thing. It's all right. I'm not going to paint it. You won't see it. Why, why should I paint it? You're never going to see it. No one's ever going to know it's not going to paint. God doesn't do that. Right. 
All right, I can get by with that, building something. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't say it's not going to be seen. Everything about you is going to be seen. Everything about you is going to be open. And God says, I'm paying attention to that because this person is going to be a testimony of my craftsmanship. They are going to be that which I'm going to put on display. Oh, glory to God. God is going to put you on display. Woo, glory to the Lord. God is going to put you in a place where he's not going to be ashamed of you. Think about that are you the kind of person that you your life is an honor to God's craftsmanship and you do not bring him shame are you aware that God wants to put you on display that gives you value Christians who talk about oh, I don't mean anything and I don't that's pathetic you're either just not saved or you're woefully ignorant of what God has done in your life because God has said, you're my inheritance. You're my workmanship. You're my poetry. You're my piece of prose. You are my book that I'm writing, and I am going to put you out in the open market for display. It gives me value. It gives me meaning. It gives me a sense that, yes, I am worth something, but it gives me meaning. My life all of a sudden has a sense that... Now, in this vast universe, though I am small, I still have a sense of purpose. There is meaning to all of this. Is not God the only one that can make sense of all the madness? Is not God the only one that can bring things around? Because I'll be honest with you, I look at so many things that our government does. I look at so many things that goes on in our society. And I, I'll tell you, I, I wonder if I've not lost my, lost my hair from scratching my head so much. And we did that because, you know, and you're doing that why? And, and you're saying this why? And you that proverbial scratching of the head, you're thinking, what is going on here? Why are you doing this? What is the purpose to that? And particularly when you get involved in a building project and, and you have to go by building codes. And, and there are many of them that make very good sense and there are several of them that don't make any sense whatsoever. I spoke to a, 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 an engineer this week and he, and he taught, this is not against handicapped people, but this they, they built or did something for this particular place. It was a salvage yard. And nobody with a handicap could even work there, first of all. Nobody with a handicap was even going to go there, but they had to have a handicapped ramp. And he said, you know, we had it. We got the inspection done. And the guy was waiting there with a the forklift. As soon as they drove off the property, he lifted up the ramp and took it away. Because it didn't make sense. You know, there are some jobs. I mean, a, a, a person in a wheelchair is probably not going to be a cleaner of windows of skyscrapers. There are just certain things you're probably not going to do, but we've got to do it because that's the law. But the point is, is that it has no meaning. It makes no sense. But I'm going to tell you something in God. All of a sudden, my life makes sense. If God has made me his possession, glory to the Lamb of God, that makes sense to me. What things God say, oh, that makes sense. God is right. God is on target. God did that in me. It gives meaning to my life. I'm not just a germ floating around. I'm not just a piece of flesh uh, walking in shoe leather. I am the creation of a God that is wise uh, and just and holy and powerful and that my life has meaning because I am his possession. And the fourth thing now 
is the fourth blessing I wish to deal with this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. I read it to you, verse 13. And this is the blessing of confirmation. I will state up front what this provides and then we will talk about it. It provides for you, number one, authenticity. Authenticity. Authenticity says that you're genuine. Okay? It says that you're for real. And secondly, it provides assurance. Woo! Glory to God. That'll give you some security. It provides assurance. I like assurance. Now, this is, this is a fine line. I, I, I don't know that the line's fine, but if I can use a little play on English words. One of the differences between us and our believers in eternal, and our belief in eternal security, biblical eternal security, and, and the belief from others of how they express eternal security. For them, eternal security is expressed as insurance. You paid a premium, you got it no matter what. As long as the premium's paid, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do after that, it's yours, okay? That's not the biblical idea. The biblical idea is not insurance, it's assurance. We believe you can be secure in your salvation, and you should be secure. You should be saved and know you're saved. And you should have no desire to go back. And you should know that you can stay saved, glory to God. You should be able to talk and use phrases like, I'm going to heaven one day. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I'm going to live in the city of the new Jerusalem. I'm going to behold the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm coming back to this earth when it comes. I'm soon to go up in a rapture. I ought to be able to talk in those terms of certainty, not because of a one-time confession, not because of some insurance that I purchased, but because of an assurance that has been provided in, oh, hallelujah, that's been provided in my heart and my life that I have a certainty in my spirit that I am convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt by a reality that is in me that I belong to God. I'm on my way to heaven and the journey gets sweeter every day. What is this blessing? It's called confirmation. He looked at it. He says this. He said that in whom also he talked about after you trusted. He said and after you believed so that it is subsequent to or at least something distinct from. Some wish to translate it. And that's okay if they do. That having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So that it took place all in the same event. And it could have done so. But I will tell you that in the verse, Paul still distinguishes it. He distinguishes this experience of being sealed with the Spirit from your what takes place with you believed that is regeneration or being born of the spirit there is a distinction that is consistent with how it happened in the Ephesian uh, um, 
establishment of the Ephesian church in, in Acts chapter 19 when Paul came to Ephesus. You know the story well. And he asked them the question. He, he found certain disciples there and he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And there are some that want to make actually the King James Version in translating that since you believed. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? There's a very good case in Greek that that is, that is an actual fine translation and there's no problem with that. And, and, and it follows the rules of Greek grammar. That's not a problem. But some say, no, that is not the case. Paul said, and the actual Greek would state to us, have you received the Holy Ghost when you believed? Or did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? You know what? It really doesn't make any difference whatsoever. The, by the fact of the matter that Paul asked that question, whether he says, when you believed, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? That implies that there was a possibility of believing and not receiving the Holy Ghost. The very fact that he asked that question, if it was something automatic because they are believers, he's treating them as believers. He's asking that when you believe, that admits you've already believed. You become a child of God. But he's asking them, there's something missing. And he wants to know when you believe, did you also receive? That very question automatically admits there is a distinction between the reception of Christ as Savior and the reception of the Holy Ghost from the Savior. Glory to God. It's one thing uh, to receive the only begotten Son uh, who was sent to the world. Uh, it's another thing to receive the Holy Ghost who was sent to the church. Glory. I'm telling you uh, that the Bible admits uh, over and over again and distinguishes uh, between the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, and between the new birth. So that here this being sealed with the Spirit is referring to the Pentecost experience. He's not referring to something other than that. Now, it is an experience where you seal, you were sealed, Paul said. And that, of course, happened. They believed. Paul, in the process, took them down and baptized them in the water unto Jesus Christ. He baptized them. And then after he baptized them, after he corrected some things about, about their, their, their theological framework and their experience in being a disciple of the Lord and a believer because they only had John's baptism. So he corrected that first and made sure that they understood something. This is about devotion to Christ. John pointed someone. John was pointing. He was a signpost. He was someone pointing to another person and that was Jesus Christ. It isn't about a mode of baptism. It isn't about what's necessarily in the water but it is about identification and unification with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got him on that page first. And then once he got him on the page where they're united with Christ, then he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues and they prophesied. I'm telling you, in their experience, they would understand this. They knew the day when they got saved. They knew when they were baptized in water. They knew when the grace of God became a reality in their life. And then they also knew when they got the experience of being filled with the Holy Ghost, sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Now just let's quickly look at this. What is this sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? The word sealed is used a couple of different ways. You find it throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. But it is the idea of, particularly in the context of this passage, of stamping something. Remember, whenever Christ was buried, they put him in the tomb and they sealed the stone. Okay? It wasn't that they made the stone and, and, and closed it up so that it couldn't be rolled away, but they put 
a seal on it so that if it was rolled away, it would break the seal and they would know that it had been tampered with and it had been opened. We do that. Uh, uh, we, you can seal an envelope uh, and kings would do this. They would put their seal and their stamp, but you can take an envelope and you could put a wax, a little thing of wax. They used to do that and they would stamp that. And then if that was opened up, it was tampered with, you would know the seal had been broken. The seal was, to, was a mark uh, and, and, and it was something that would also to uh, uh, identify it and, and, and this, uh, carry this idea of tampering, but, but uh, also it was, a, it was a mark to show who it was. It was an identifier, and that's the way it's used here. The word literally just means to stamp. That's the idea, to make an impression on something. And so God says that he stamped us. You were stamped with the Holy Spirit. You were marked with the Holy Spirit of promise. There was an impression that was placed upon you. You were engraved with the Holy Spirit. An identifying mark was placed upon your life, and that mark was was not some physical sign. It was not a tattoo. It was not something where you take a, a stamp and dip it in ink and smack it on your forehead. It was a living person that your life is going to be marked by the presence, the manifestation of the Spirit of the living God. Woo! Hallelujah! Oh, let's get a little bit of that. Sealed. So it's that which confirms. It authenticates. I've shared it before. In Ephesus, they would come. The Caster River flows there into the uh, uh, to the sea. There, a beautiful harbor in Paul's day. But the Caster River uh, brings a lot of silt with it as it flows down, and it's silted in the harbor today, so that it's a long ways from where it used to be. It's just been filled in. But they would come, and the, the logs would come down, and they would they would bring them to market there at Ephesus, and they would they would go and purchase those logs, and then after they purchased them there would be uh, uh, the, the one who was the worker for the, for the boss who made the purchase so to speak he would go down and he would stamp those logs so they would identify this is the property it's been purchased it's been bought this log is, belongs to whatever log or so and so and, and they put that mark on it so whenever the man came to pick up the logs and take them to this owner's place of business he would look for the logs that had the owner's stamp on it. Oh, yeah. And when he saw the stamp that was on it, he said, oh, that belongs to master. That belongs to him. And he would take that log. So it was a seal of, of confirmation, of authenticity, of ownership, if you will, and, and gives this idea that there is a stamp upon you. And that's what the Bible says to us, that when God saved us, he adopted us, he made us sons, he purchased us, we became his property. And after we became his property. Not when, but after. Some little time. Whatever. I don't care if it's a nanosecond or whatever. There was a distinction between the purchase and actually owning it and then marking it for ownership. Oh, come on. He couldn't mark what wasn't purchased. He couldn't mark what wasn't owned. God doesn't mark sinners. He marks saints. Glory to God. He doesn't put a stamp on those that aren't his. He puts a stamp on that which is his. Oh, this is the seal. The foundation of the Lord 
Lord standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows his own. The world may not know. The world may be ignorant of it. But God knows where to put the seal. God knows where to put the stamp. Hallelujah. What's that mean? What's it look like? I want to bring that home to you a little bit today. This is a blessing in Christ. This is a gift to you. This is something God will do in your life. Now, people might say, well, it's just automatic. God's going to automatically do that. He doesn't automatically do that. Now, I want to clearly identify and tell you again why this Holy Spirit of promise and this seal is refers to the Pentecostal, what we term as the Pentecostal experience, baptism, Holy Ghost, that experience, not the new birth. One, because of the, the symbolism of what's used. You don't stamp what's not yours. It's that simple. To be consistent with that, this experience of being sealed must be subsequent to a new birth. Subsequent to conversion. After the fact. It doesn't have to be very long. It can be nanoseconds. Because at the house of Cornelius, buddy, they got born again, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled. Looked like it was all at one time. Yeah. All right, But in God's economy, in God's way of doing things, even though it may have been accomplished in what looked like all in one event, there was still an order that took place in that life. Okay? There's still an order. And sometimes in some people's lives, because of ignorance, because of, of some things that they may struggle with, there becomes a time in there. And it doesn't become something that's automatic. There are folks that actually get born again. And they belong to Jesus Christ. And they're His. But they have yet to be sealed. Because there's something there that, that has to be dealt with. They've been purchased and they're gods. But there's something there. that It could be ignorance. It could be a fact that just, there's some uncertainty. Or, 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 or something that's not known, whatever it may be. But anyway, God will, will, will deal with that and bring the person to this. But I want you to understand that that. But second reason that I say is because of the phraseology that he used. He said we are sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise. Here's the Spirit of promise. Where does that take us to? Well, that'll take us back to the Gospel of Luke where Luke said, tarry ye in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He said, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Peter talked about it. What you see around here, fellas, is what Christ has received of the Father and shed this off. That'll take us to the gospel of John and the promise that Jesus make. He said, it is expedient for you, not the world. It's expedient for you that I go away. He was talking to the church, to believers. But if I go not away, he said, the comforter will not come. But if I go away, I will send him to you. He talked to another time. He said, I will pray the Father and he will send you another comforter. He was going to Father and asking. He was asking for believers. He was interceding for the church. He wasn't asking this gift of the Spirit to be given to the world. He was asking to the church. What they got on the day of Pentecost was not something dished out to believers. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. The Son was God's gift to sinners. He was God's gift to the world. If you receive the Son, you can be saved. If you receive the Son, you can have life and life everlasting. Oh, but the gift of the Spirit will come from the Father and the Son and it is not given out to the world 
It's given to the church. It's given to them that believe. It's given to those whose sins have been washed away. It's given to those whose guilt have been lifted. It is God's gift to the church of Jesus Christ. His gift to the church. The promise was to the church. It was that other comforter that Jesus said he would send to us. This refers to the Pentecostal experience. That's the way it happened at Ephesus. It's consistent with biblical uh, uh, exegesis, biblical, biblical framework. It's consistent interpretation of Scripture. But what does this do? Let's look at our leader himself. Let's go to the very head of the church, Jesus Christ. He is born in Bethlehem. The Bible said unto us, a child is born unto us, a son is given. The son was given unto us. Isaiah will talk about it. A son was given to the world. A savior was given to the world. And we find out that he was born the son of God. He told Mary, that holy thing which shall be born of you shall be called the son of God. Woo! He shall not so much be called the son of Mary. He will be the son of God. He is not so much the son of Joseph. He is the son of God. Oh, glory. And there he is. This is that from birth. He is that from eternity past. He didn't become a son when he became a man. No, sir. He was the son when he became a man. When he became a man, his identity is already marked. It's already known who he is. He already comes. He existed. He is the only one that pre-existed his birth and pre-existed his conception. Unlike some false doctrines that teach and Yes, God knew me and knew what was going to happen, but I did not exist in time and space prior to my conception. When that conception took place, then Dan Woods came into existence. But when the conception took place in Mary, the humanity of Christ became into existence. But the deity of Christ and the identity and the sense of his personhood and the reality of his being did not come into existence. It had already been. Hallelujah. From eternity past, he is the Son of God. For eternity future he is the son of God sitting at the right hand today he is the son of God and he was always the son he went to church every Saturday and Sabbath on Sabbath day in Nazareth he is the son of God they don't know it but the son of God was reading scripture to him God was in the house and people were oblivious to it God was reading the very book that he himself had inspired and brought to them and they simply cannot get a hold of it But Jesus will not authenticate himself. He will not commend himself. Now we do that. We write our resumes. Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus didn't write a Messiah resume. I should have this position. I am worthy. I am this. I am that. No, he didn't do that. He didn't commend himself. He didn't tell, well, I'm God. You should respect me more than that. Do you not know that I've come to save your life? I'm going to die for you, you rascal, you. You ungrateful wench. Look at you. No, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. He didn't announce it. He'll leave that to the Father. <laughs> and one day he walks the dusty trail. 30 years on this earth, he has lived in obscurity. 
and what appears to be normal humanity and in and, and, and all purposes it was. Everybody in Nazareth, they see him as a great carpenter, but that's it, buddy, okay? Now his mother has contemplated this thing. She has rolled this thing around. There's been days that she has looked and it's just, that's Jesus, that's my son, Joshua. He's my son, yes, and he's taking care of them. He's working in a carpenter shop. And how many came into that day after day, week after week? Thank you, Jesus. You always do the best. You're the best carpenter we've got. You have really put this place on the map. And I tell everybody about you wherever I go. But they didn't tell him he was Messiah. They didn't tell him he was Savior. They just said, he's the carpenter. You want a carpenter, go down there to Nazareth, buddy. That guy will build you something. To, he'll make a yoke for your oxen. It won't chafe them. It will be a perfect fit for them. I've never seen anybody with such a, an eye for detail and such craftsmanship. Oh, he is the carpenter of Galilee, not just Nazareth, but all of Galilee. He is known throughout it. But one time, one day later, it'll be enough for that. 30 years will go by of that, and he'll walk the dusty trail, and he'll come down to the Jordan River, and there's an old uh, hellfire and brimstone preacher down there. And man, I'm telling you, he's a thunder and gloom and doom. And he's down there preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, may I prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Prepare a way in the wilderness. Fill in the valleys. Bring down the mountains. Gather out the stones. The king's on his way. And he just walks down. And he gets down to the brink of the river and he walks in and John sees him and instantly senses. Everyone that's come to John after this point, with the exception of the self-righteous, hypocritical scribes and Pharisees, soldiers have come to John. John, I've sinned. I've, I've, I've turned away from what God wanted us to be. I did violence to men I shouldn't have done violence to. I'm not. What do I do? And he tells him what to do. Prostitutes come. John, you know my life. I'm sorry. Will you baptize me? I want to get back on the right straight. Messiah's coming. I don't want the hoped for Messiah to come and find me as a prostitute. I don't want the long-awaited king to come and see me as a criminal in his kingdom. I'd like him to see me ready for him. Would you baptize me? Everyone confesses sins. They all came to John confessing their sins, the Bible says. But Jesus doesn't confess any sins. He walks down into the water. Yeah, hallelujah. There are no sins to confess today. And John doesn't say, Ah, you brood of vipers, bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. John says, I need you to baptize me. Ah, no, sir, I'm not going to baptize you. I need you to baptize me. You have no consciousness of sins, but I do. I know I haven't always done even things right, even though I'm a man of God, filled with the Spirit from my mother's womb. I know I haven't always done everything that was right. I could use you to baptize me. Not today, John. Not today. I'm not here to most so much authenticate you. I am not here today so that I can make some personal announcement. I'm not here today to bring this about my own way. I'm looking for a confirmation. I'm looking for a word from above. I'm looking for a voice that'll come from glory and will identify. I want you to know, John, you're a good man and a righteous man and I want your testimony but there'll be another testimony today. 
Okay. God bless people who have got enough good sense not to argue with Jesus. Lord, I need you to baptize me. No, John. Suffer to be so for righteousness' sake. Your ministry is a ministry of righteousness. And if you baptize me, the people will know that you believe that I'm righteous. Because he wouldn't baptize Pharisees. And I'll have your witness that I'm righteous. John doesn't say, I'm not doing that. I'm, 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 I'm just too humble and I'm too modest and I can't do that. I'm telling you. God bless the man and woman who has learned not to argue with Jesus. If he says do it, do it. Hallelujah. And John did it. He had enough sense not to sit there and and, and make a big stink and and try to make something of this okay. If you say it, that's what I'm going to do. And he baptized him. And Jesus began to pray. (laughs) He's beginning to just call out to God Almighty. And as he's walking up out of the water, he may even have his hands lifted up. I do not know. But he's praying. And he's talking to the Father. All of a sudden, the heavens opened up. And a voice booms from above. This is my beloved son <laughs> this is my beloved son oh, I'm not just John is pleased I'm well pleased glory to the love of God I'm telling you this is my righteous child and I am happy with him and I'm pleased with him and then all of a sudden in a visible form here came this dove fluttering in the wind with its wings coming down and it lands upon the head of Jesus oh glory could you see it for a moment the Holy Spirit lighting upon him what has it done God has just sealed him God has put a stamp on him God has just said that's my son. He was already the son but he's now been authenticated. He's now been announced. He has now been confirmed. Oh glory to the Lamb of God. We need a confirmation again in the church world. Today churches announce themselves They brag on themselves. They boast on themselves. They boast on their morality or their immorality. They boast on what they do in their works. I'd like it again that we had no boast. The record, let it be there. But let God testify to us. Let the Holy Ghost come down. Let the glory of God fill the house. And let the world know we're right. Not because we bought a billboard and plastered it for the public to see. But because the presence of God is rich and real and convicting and it shows me that God is among us of a truth. Mm. Woo! He did not become a son when he was sealed. He was already a son, and that's why he was sealed. It was not the creation of his sonship. It was a witness to his sonship. Confirmation, not creation. And this is what John's also been waiting for, too. They came down to John a little later. Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Well, who are you? I'm a voice. 
I'm a big mouth in the wilderness that makes you uncomfortable. I'll put that in our vernacular, okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Yeah, he didn't need a megaphone. He's crying out in the wilderness, and he said. And, and, and then he said, but there's one standing among you whom you know not. <laughs> Ooh, he it is. He'll take the sins of the world away. And he said, for this purpose I came baptizing in water. But the God had spoke to me and said, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, he it is that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Glory. Hallelujah. And John said, I was there. I witnessed it. Ah, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. His fan is in his hand. He has come to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Hallelujah. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God. So what, what did this, what was the effect of this upon the life of Jesus? Let me tell you the primary effect upon the life of Jesus and make my point here this morning. I like John's, uh, Mark's gospel because Mark speaks of Christ in terms of urgency. He speaks of Christ as the servant of God. And he speaks of him in terms, go through the gospel of Mark and you will see terms immediately, straightforward. I mean. And it's, it's, it's a gospel, if you read it through, will leave you breathless. Jesus doesn't get a break. He starts it with the baptism. He doesn't even talk about his birth. He goes right from the baptism. Right from the time Jesus gets the Holy Ghost, is filled with the Spirit, and phew, from there, all the way, and John ends his gospel with saying, and these signs shall follow them that believe. <laughs> Whew, yeah. So what, is, what did it do for him? Mark's gospel recorded this way. After the baptism of Jesus Christ, he would say, and immediately. Now, in actuality, there was some days time that went on there. But that wasn't what concerned Mark. That would concern John, and John will write about it. That a few days after this, he's there. But Mark will say, immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Or he'll go to the wilderness and come back there. But it seems like maybe this will take place in John before he goes to the wilderness. But that's what I want you to see throughout the Gospel of Mark. And he will say, and the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. What are you talking about, John? Has Jesus now become a robot? Has he become this slave that, that now he's in the hand of a beast and the hand of a tyrant? Absolutely not. Again, this is the terminology of Mark because that's the way he presents the work of the Spirit in someone's life. So that now, 30 years have went by and it seems like it's been lazy days, if I can put it that way. We don't talk about them. 18 years from the time he turned 12 to the time he's baptizing in Jordan, we don't have a clue except he's been 
became a good carpenter. We don't know. And there were ordinary days that went by. I'm just going to call it those lazy, ordinary days, all right, that just go by day after day. Nothing great happening. Nothing, no big, no, no big announcements. Nothing big. I mean, why is the big promise? Hey, buddy, you're 25 years old now. I remember how you were born, Jesus. I remember what the angel Gabriel told me here and all that was said about you. Something ought to take place. It will when the Lord says it's okay. You just leave that to God's timing. And finally the voice will whisper. And when he comes to the Jordan River, he just it seemed that he just walks down the eases down there and no big way, ordinary average. But once the Holy Ghost came upon him now, his life is going to be marked by the movement of the Spirit of God. Now he's going to seem as a man who is under an unction. He is under a power and a force that drives him. It is not by force. It is by submission. He loves. He has been approved of God. And the Spirit now dictates his steps. And the Spirit will move him to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. He doesn't run when you get filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't run from the devil. You meet him right where he's at. You go right in the middle of his territory and say, bring it on. Hallelujah. We're here today. We've been waiting for this moment. And now I've been sealed. And now the Father's made the announcement. The Holy Ghost has come. And I'm here because he has driven my life and brought me here. And his life became marked, sealed, stamped by the living presence of the Holy Spirit. No miracles performed until this day. No announcement of Messiahship until this day. No choosing of a disciple until this day. No gathering about him a rabbinical following, a mass following. None of that until he's filled with the Spirit, until he's sealed by the Holy Ghost. And then God's announcement upon him. And now his life is going to be marked with one of an energy, a power. God talks to him. God directs him. God speaks to him. He, the Spirit of God moves and He heals people. They come in the house. He spends all Sabbath afternoon healing and delivering. It's a powerful time. They're exhausted by day's end, even probably into the night. Finally, finally, the crowds die down and they disperse and they get a few hours sleep and the apostles are overcome with it and they're just so worn out and they get up late and they look around and the crowds have gathered early. They've gathered around, no doubt, probably as soon as daybreak and they've gathered around the house again. Where's he at? We was here last night. Where's he at? I got someone else. I had to go home and get him. And they need to be here. Where's he at? Where's that, where's that man from Galilee? Where is that Jesus of Nazareth? Where is he? And the apostles, well, he was right here. I slept by him last night. Where's he at? John, where's he at? I don't know, man. Where's he at? Well, didn't you even get up? Peter, where's he at? I don't know. Matthew, where is he? Judas, where is he? I don't know. I think I know where we can find him. Shot over there to the place he frequented. The house of police of prayer. Went to the mount. And they got to him out of breath. Master, master. Man, you know how big the crowd was last night? Man, they gathered again. Hey, the crowd, they gathered. The people want you down there. Come on. You got to go down here. Ah, uh, fellas, I got to go to some other places today. All right. Woo, glory. 
In other words, his life is not going to be driven by the public opinion. It's not going to be driven by the public passion. It's not going to be driven by the poll. It's not going to be driven by the desire of the crowd. There is now one who has filled his vessel and his steps will be ordered by the Holy Ghost and he will not go back. The, the blind there will have to stay blind. The deaf will have to stay deaf. He's going to another town because the Holy Ghost has said, you're not going back there today. You're going over here today. You are going to go preach the gospel in another city. Woo! Mm. When you are sealed with the Holy Ghost, your life becomes marked by the spiritual and that you are not driven by external sources but by internal being. And you're not just even led, you're driven. Your whole life is in the Holy Ghost. Now, you just listen to me. I'm just about to close. Listen to me a moment. Go listen to non-Pentecostal preachers. And they will not, they will place an emphasis on being led by Scripture. That's okay. They will place an emphasis on the, on the principles of God's Word and how you need to practice and apply the Word of God. All of that's well and good. But they will not talk about being led by the Spirit. They will not talk about the Holy Ghost talking to you. And then, and sometimes they got, a, they got a good case against the charismatic world, if I can put it that way. Because they look at the goofy charismatics. And what they say the Spirit's led them to do contradicts what's in the Word of God. That's not right either. No, the Spirit didn't lead us down a road that runs contrary to the Bible. When the Bible's inspired by Him, He would be going against Himself. He'd be shooting Himself in the foot. And God's not that ignorant, sir. No, sir. But at the same time, it doesn't do away with the fact that our salvation is not just a new birth and a new life. And now that I'm going to live by the Word of God, and I just am glad that I'm saved. No, I am now going to become a threat to the enemy. Oh, glory to the Lamb of God. I am now, my life is going to be marked. I'm not just going to be led by the Scripture, but I'm going to be led by the Scripture, illuminated, energized, and empowered, and anointed by the Holy Ghost of heaven and the anointing of God will come so that men like Peter and that men like John who are running from the cross in the black hour of crucifixion in the dark night of the death of Jesus when the power comes upon them when they're sealed with the Holy Ghost they will stand and say sirs judge within yourselves whether we should obey God and man but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And you will note that when Peter answers, the Bible says, and Peter being full of the Holy Ghost. Their lives are going to be stamped. Help me, Lord. I wish I could drive this home off. Mm. The last thing we want to do in this church is resist, downplay, downgrade, ignore, place in an obscure section, sectionalize or marginalize the manifestation and work 
of the Holy Ghost. Whatever needs to be overcome, whatever needs to be dealt with, deal with it. In other words, be a genuine son who identifies with the Father and not the world. We want to receive the Holy Ghost and identify with God while at the same time keeping our self-consciousness identifying with us in the world. We want to have a move of the Spirit that doesn't make us look fanatical. We want to have a move of the Spirit that doesn't appear radical. We want to have the Holy Ghost that when He comes, we're able to just calmly abide there and say this is nice. We don't want something that puts fire in our feet. Oh, come on now. We don't want something that gives volume to the voice. We don't want something that makes us look like the rest of those crowns. Like the Coddles and the Woodges and the Hootons and the Browns and the other Coddles and the Sergeys and those folks. They're radicals. They're far right. I don't want to do that. You don't have to do all that. No, maybe you don't have to do that. But I'm going to tell you, I'd like for God to seal. I would like to have a stamp of approval. Today, we seek the approval of the world. We want the world to put their stamp on us. Mark us and admire our programs. Mark Mark us and admire our growth. Mark us and admire our edifices. Mark us and admire how we've taken people and put them through our little 12-step program. And now they're not on drugs anymore. Oh, this is so nice. We feed the poor. We got a soup kitchen. We minister to this group and that group. It's all the seal of humanity. It's all the seal of a culture. But I want the seal of the Holy Ghost. I want the mark of God that authenticates us and says, that God is in this house. Woo! Preach, come on, amen. But we say, you see that man right there? He used to be an alcoholic. He's not right that way, now that way anymore. You know how he got that way? He didn't join the church. He didn't go through a program. He repented, and the Holy Ghost touched him and saved him and sanctified him, and Jesus baptized him, and now he's on the road for God Almighty. I know that the world is its, you cannot help but notice it. I know that our dress styles and our dress standards are a rebuke to the world. I know that our women and men do not dress like the world and do not go to the world's places. I know that inherently that's going to be visible and they're going to note it. But God did not say he sealed us with a style of dress code. He did not say he sealed us with a standard of morality. He did not say he sealed us with a religious ceremony. He did not say he sealed us with some religious rite of baptism or the Lord's Supper. He sealed us not with an event, not with a thing, not with with some kind of physical sign but with the very person of the Holy Ghost this isn't a dead seal that you put in a picture frame and admire it, it's a living seal glory to God, it is the living presence of God, there's a man, I don't know how he gets what he gets I don't know how he sees what he sees I don't know how he prays like he prays I don't know how he worships like he worships because he is sealed he is stamped, he has got a living presence of the Holy Ghost 
Glory! Glory to God! Glory to God! We don't want that. We don't want that. Our preachers must stay behind the desk respectable. They must act with dignity. They must not raise their voice. They must maintain a sense of decorum. Whose decorum? Whose definition of dignity, sir? Is there anything immoral or ungodly? Because I lift my voice like a trumpet. When the word gets like fire shut up in your bones. When the living seal manifests his glory. And this piece of flesh is touched by divine power and divine energy. Shouldn't it be visible? Shouldn't there be something? I've seen a lot of fellows yell that were not anointed. I've seen a lot of folks scream and it was nothing but flesh. And I've seen some that just stood there and you couldn't hardly bear to move for the power of God that filled the house. It's not in the sound of my voice, but it's in the unction of the Holy Ghost. I don't want that shout. I don't want that energy. I don't want that kind of notoriety. Then you don't want to be sealed because you're going to have to identify with God. You're going to have to be marked by God. 